Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Turn Bark Time. I'm the Turn. I'm the Bark. And we're going to be here a long time. Welcome back, everybody, to Season 3, Episode 9. Nine. Ooh, nice. Good technique. Good good finger technique. Weird. <laughs> yep. It's an amalgamation. <laughs> amalgamation zombie. Yep. Uh, so, hey, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Uh, hope we're sounding well. Barker and I both have microphones. We're upgrading our podcast equipment because, you know, we're up to the tens of viewers, and it's pretty exciting for us. Uh, Bark, how you been? I've been doing great. We're in that, you know, run up to spring break. So just trying to maintain sanity. Um, for a little bit longer and then we can cut loose for a week and then make the final push to the end of the year graduation and ap exams all that great stuff exciting exciting yeah we're doing well we're we're looking i'm staring at conferences next week and kids are getting themselves all set up and end of the quarters on friday so it'll be a it'll be a real good time to to kind of get that and then next week will be a good reset uh, going into that final fourth quarter and get to start track when we come back from spring break, which will be super exciting. So I'm ready for the break, but I'm also ready to start track. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, kind of a fun topic brought to you by John Anderson. If you want to travel on Southwest One with West Coast Connection, make sure you invite John Anderson. John, this is a big shout out to you, Johnny boy. Uh, we are going to record a episode on Japanese invasion of the Aleutian Islands. And for those of you who don't know, the Aleutian Islands are, when you look at that giant map of Alaska, and you see that little tail of islands that go off there. Yep, nice little thumb work right there. Uh, that is going to be Japan's one invasion of the United States, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, and it's one of those things that we one of those age-old myths that we like to say, like, or not a myth, I guess, like when history we go, oh, well, America's never lost a war or America's never been invaded since the War of 1812. Um, we often glance over the Japanese occupation, 14-month occupation of, what, three Aleutian Islands? Yep. And I, because at that point, Alaska wasn't a state, it was a territory. So Correct. I think that's the, the that's the technicality that people will try and go, oh, it wasn't a state. It was just a territory um, that they'll try and, you know, kind of like, I guess, downplay the importance of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. But it, I, I guess it should go to say, like, first things first, it was not meant as like it wasn't the tip of the spear of a invasion of the United States. It was not yep. intended to be the invasion of the United States. It was to control the North Pacific. And so one of the big things is they actually the the area they attacked. If I'm I'm gonna say, are you gonna call it, are we gonna call it Kiska? Right? Does that sound right? Yeah, that's the yep yep yep. Yeah. So uh, they basically occupy this island. The invasion happens on June sixth, nineteen forty two. Ironic that that will, June sixth of nineteen forty four will be the major land invasion of Europe. Uh, so not two years later, uh, and they actually. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? I was going to say deoccupy, but that's not the right. They retreat off the island um, on the 28th of July, 1943. Um, and so they occupy, I have uh, Kiska and Atu Island, I think I'm saying correctly. Yeah, it's um, Atu. The only reason I know that it's Atu is because of uh, the movie Big Year with Steve Martin and oh, Jack Black, yep, where they're converting. They mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, they go to they go to Atu or Atu on that uh, 
So that is the westernmost of the Aleutian Islands. All right. Uh, I love it. I love it. Uh, and so, yeah, so basically, again, like Barker said, the, the goal was not to necessarily um, – the goal wasn't to occupy Alaska. The goal was to secure their northern flank, the North Pacific, uh, so that they could continue – uh, working their way, island hopping down and taking over different territories in the South Pacific. And there's a couple of different thoughts. Like some people say that it was a diversion. They were hoping that they would drag more of the Pacific fleet away from Midway because this battle, the invasion of Atu and of Kiska happens and they bomb Dutch Harbor. So if you watch Deadliest Catch, um, June 3rd, 1942, you have carrier-based planes that come and bomb Pearl Harbor, which was a submarine depot at the time. Um, Dutch Harbor, not Pearl Harbor. Oh, sorry. Dutch, did I say Pearl Harbor? You did, but that's not also, that, they, did bomb, they did bomb Dutch. Pearl Harbor, too. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's, the Germans bombed Pearl, you know, anyway, yeah. Animal House. But uh, <laughs> they, they bomb Dutch. They take that over at the same time that Midway happens, and so there's one of the schools of thought is that it was a diversionary tactic to try and pull more American, more of the American Pacific fleet away from Midway to soften up Midway. Um, another thought was that it potentially was priming them to maybe uh, start an incursion into Siberia or Kamchatka, for those of you who play Risk. Yes. And know where that is on a map, yep. right by your coots. So uh, all you Risk players out there, good for you. <laughs> but I mean, it's just it's interesting because they they start with Kiska and they land and they get there. The Japanese they land with 550 men and they're ready to destroy every military installation they can find. And there's nothing. Uh, uh not nothing. Well, almost nothing. <laughs> okay. And then they move. They go. So it's interesting because like on the archipelago, right, which is a, a series of islands in a chain. Um. They kind of hit in the middle and then work their way back out to the west. And they end up at Atu. And Atu only had about 50 people on it. There was a, 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 there was a radio operator who was not a military radio operator. He was in his 60s. Yep. Um, Charles, what was Charles's name? Charles. His last name is Jones. Something Jones. Anyways. Um, he was the radio operator, and his wife was a teacher out there for the Bureau of Indian Affairs because she was teaching the the Aleut tribes that were that lived on Atu, right? The indigenous people who've been there for thousands of years. Um, and the Japanese arrived; they come in, and her husband essentially was giving like weather reports, like that was his job. He's out of, like, and if you don't know, like Atu is like remote, 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 like like <laughs> no flushy toilets. Yep. Um, and so anyways, like he gives a warning back to Dutch Harbor that uh, essentially the Japanese are coming, breaks the radio. And there's there's I, I went through and I looked at there's a lot of good stuff from uh, the National Park Service. There's good resources from I read some other stuff that was from the National World War Two Museum out of New Orleans, which I think you've been to. Oh, it's oh my gosh! You you New Orleans has this mentality of partying and everything like that. Please spend a whole day at the World War II Museum, and the reason is because the Higgins boat, the PT Higgins boat, uh, the designer is from New Orleans, and he argued to have 
the museum built in New Orleans, and it is incredible. Um, and so there was also I looked at sources from the Alaska Alaska Veterans Organization, and so like there's. I guess it's 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 not fully decided what exactly happened. The narrative is kind of up in the air. The husband doesn't survive the initial invasion for whatever reason. There's different stories of what went down and why he was killed. His wife will actually be taken as a prisoner and sent back to Yokohama. Wow. And she rides out the rest of the war from 40 till to 42 to the end of the war. Um at the Bund Hotel with other like Australian nurses that were captured in like Guinea, like off the islands of Guinea. And then the actual Aleut people, the indigenous people of Atu stay for a while and they help like feed the Japanese soldiers. And then eventually like Japan rounds up the 46 Aleut people and they send them to Hokkaido to an internment camp. And the crazy thing is, is that the American government also removed other tri- like other groups from other islands to protect them from the Japanese and put them in internment camps in southern Alaska that actually resulted in kind of the neglect Removed. of them. And it led oh, yeah. to like them like, you know, like dying like they were actually in. In Japan, they were treated better than Korean or Ch- Japanese, or sorry, Korean or Chinese POWs. Like they actually were like treated better. I mean, it wasn't outstanding, but it was. You right. Know, they weren't actively like trying to end them. Yeah. But it was just kind of an. That was an interesting piece of it that I found that you wouldn't normally think about. Like there, there were there were people there. There are people that live there, in the same way that there are. Um, I guess similarly ethnic people who live on the eastern shores of Russia. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I was making sure my geography worked out there. With no, the you added that up perfectly. Um, yeah, this is well. So what I found crazy about this is that uh, the Allies actually. So like basically after this happens, um, the United States and Canada work together in a joint operation to remove the Japanese from. North America. And um and so if I'm jumping over anything that you have a, anything else to add, go ahead and and jump in. Okay. Um but one of the things I found absolutely fascinating is they they basically um there were multiple Japanese casualties uh during the war uh, in this area, but it was more their ships got damaged uh or sunk that were in the areas of the Aleutian Islands. Um but then the allies actually like get ready to invade the island and a fog had rolled in. And I thought this was kind of similar to George Washington in New York in that sense, um, where he, they look and all of a sudden these, I think the guy, I think the Admiral, let me see what's his name. Cause I'm going to say it wrong. Admiral. Let's see. Apologize at rear Admiral. And I'm going to say Kimura Masatomi uh basically was able to bring in two cruisers light cruisers and 10 destroyers and get through an american blockade around the island um with the cover of fog and he's able to rescue they had about uh 5200 men on the island um and but other uh ships were destroyed and 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 damaged in this but what i found interesting was that over 313 
allied casualties were a result of trying to retake the island, but retake is a strong word because there was nobody on the island to retake. And that was from friendly fire, uh, booby traps, um, landmines and accidents and the weather and the weather. Yeah. So what, what was happening is that to understand that you have to resupply Japan had to send supplies from Japan all the way up, right. To essentially the Bering sea and what the United States did is they they harassed those resupply ships, and it actually results um, in the longest and the last kind of ship-to-ship, like battleship-to-battleship battle ever. Because after that point, like one of the important things about World War II is that you start using aircraft carriers, and so it becomes – this is where the Navy you know, starts having more airplanes than the Air Force – well, Air Force doesn't really exist until after World War II, but whatever. Um, 1947, September 18th, Dad's birthday. Shout out, Jack Turner. Doesn't watch these, but I appreciate you, Dad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like it, you know, it changed the the nature of naval warfare. It was more about like my airplanes are going to go hit you rather than battleship fighting battleship. And so, yep. but like in the North Pacific, uh, there was like the the last kind of major battleship battleship. They they duked it out for like three hours or something like that. Yeah. Um, the U.S. probably should have lost the engagement for whatever reason. The Japanese withdrew and then just were like, nah, we're going to try and resupply with submarines, which was less efficient than surface ships. Yeah. And so the result of that was. So the U.S. decides they're going to try and take back the islands. And for some odd reason, like it's really kind of interesting to me, like they decide they're going to start from Attu and work their way back. Yeah. So rather than coming from Alaska. um. You know, because, like, you have Dutch Harbor, and then there's airfields that are further inland on the bigger islands as you get closer back to kind of, like, mainland Alaska. And it would just make more sense to me that you're going to come from that side, but maybe that's, you know, that's where they expect you to come from. Yeah. And so it was Operation Land Crab. Mm-hmm. Land Crab. Land Crab. Not Black Crab, which is a bad Swedish movie on Netflix. Don't watch it. Don't watch um, it. I wasted two hours the other night. Don't do it. Don't do it unpaid solicitation but uh one of the crazy things about it they so the seventh infantry division which is actually based out of fort lewis right so boom the washington connection there the part of the seventh infantry that they sent up there had just finished training in california for desert combat and now they're going to the arctic (laughs) and they didn't even like refit them before they like sent them to alaska and it take it it was like in the summertime, which means it's between 40 and 50 degrees. Bully. Balmy. Um, they land with 3,500 troops on Attu, and there's significant resistance on the island of Attu, which is, again, it's this doesn't really serve any military purpose. You you have to take it because they're there. And it's yep. kind of like the Maori when they fought the uh, when they fought against the New Zealanders when the, the British showed up in New Zealand. They would build their forts just so that the, because they knew that the enemy would have to come fight them at the fort. So that you didn't really want to protect stuff. You just built it because well, we gotta, we've got to take it because they have it. Yeah. And that's really what happened at Attu. Um, and so, like, the 7th Infantry lands and over. They thought it was going to take three days. It ends up taking 19, I think. And they keep pushing back. One of the problems is is that these islands are covered in what's called muskin or musk muskeg, muskeg, yeah, which is like lichen and moss and like essentially like a 
really boggy mud. So you can't drive tanks over it. You can't drive cars over it. You know, so it's, it makes it really hard to get across the island. And so even though it's 40 degrees, it's tundra. So it keeps in like it's cold. Yeah. And as the soldiers are going with their leather boots, it results in a lot of frostbite you know, like frozen feet and frostbite on the lower extremities for the American soldiers as well as the Japanese. And, you know, the Japanese put up a staunch resistance and essentially Colonel, um, oh, it was Yamasaki. Sorry, I, re yep. I had an S and a K that got mixed up there. Oh, okay. Him and his whole command, like he, he starts, keeps falling back, keep falling back. And then he realizes that there's no there's nobody coming to save them. And so they lead kind of like one last charge where they're going to try and take over like. Um, an artillery position and turn their artillery on the Americans. And so, you know, whether you want to call it a bonsai charge or a bayonet charge, it's one of the largest ones they say in military history in World War Two is 20, about twenty five hundred men, um, twenty three hundred, I guess, like between twenty three, twenty four. And according to the American records, like out of his entire command, there's only 28 guys that end up surrendering. Wow. So either they die in the advance or after um, Yamasaki was killed by rifle fire, they said that some of them also committed sabuku at the end before, you know, rather than surrendering because of the way that they've been, I guess, primed. Yeah, mentally for that battle. So, I mean, like you look at it, like there's just a huge casualty rate on Atu, Atu and Kiska is much bigger of an island, geographically speaking. And so the we sent thirty five hundred troops to Atu and they're going to land the U.S. lands when they take when they're getting ready to take back Kiska. I think it's thirty four thousand. Oh, I thought it was thirty four hundred or thousand. I might have put an extra thirty four hundred. Uh, bombardment to sorry, Kiska. You're right. Uh, invasion force of 34,426 Canadian Americans, right? 34,000 yep. because that's what they were expecting. And and the reason for it is Kiska, because it's bigger, the, the purpose of taking Kiska for the Japanese was to build an air an airfield so that they could then launch attacks into like to come attack and combat the American land land-based aircraft because prior to this when they attacked Dutch Harbor they were using carrier-based planes and the United States was using and Canada were using land-based aircraft and so they were trying to fight fire with fire so that you didn't endanger your aircraft carriers because those are gold during World mm -hmm. War II. Yep. And so like they're expecting a much bigger resistance and that's where the Japanese withdraw they pull off like what was it just like over 5,000 5, people, people yep. in an hour. You know what I mean? It's an amazing feat. The Allies, the United States and Canada had dropped 6 million tons of bombs or 6 million pounds of bombs yep. on Kiska. Like this, it's, it's, I think it's 30 miles, 30 by 7, 30 miles by 7. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is, in the grand scheme of things, isn't super huge. But like, you know, they bombed the living dog out of this island. Yep. They land and there's nobody there. And the commander of the American forces says, to attract attention, it's hard to find anything more effective than a great, big, juicy, expensive mistake. Right? That's from Simon Buckner, yeah. who was the commanding officer when they landed and essentially got ready to fight this battle, and then there was nobody to fight. Yeah. Within like a week and a half, the United the Americans finished building an airfield 
which eventually gets extended and gets expanded so that they can launch and control like air patrols over the Pacific to see, you know, I mean, again, to dominate the North Pacific. So to protect the United States from any kind of incursion coming up North, which you're fighting the weather. I mean, you look at that. One of the biggest things about this is that you, not only are you fighting against the enemy, you're fighting against mother nature. It's like the old adage of, you know, never fight a land war in Asia, you know, or don't invade Russia during the winter. Yep. You know, which nobody actually does invade during the winter. They just invade and they don't finish in time. Yeah, they get bogged down. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those ones where it's like it's it's kind of crazy about how how this all plays out because again, like you said at the beginning, this doesn't get talked about very often. Um, and it, do you have anything else on this one? Because I have a bonus thing that we need to talk about real quick. I thought it was interesting on. Atu, there's a place called Massacre Valley and like Massacre Bay. And I was like, wow, did they name it after the events of this? And it, it, it dated back to Russian fur traders killing the the Aleut people, the yep. or the Anangan, which is the more specific tribe of the island. And if you want to hear about another massacre, you can watch ep- season three, episode one, Matanzas Inlet. Good luck. <laughs> so uh, we do have a special request uh, from our your former, my current boss man. To also talk about uh, the Japanese attack on the great state of Oregon. Oh. And so just throwing this out there really quick because I told him I'd talk about it is uh, one of the interesting things. So this happened July 6th or June 6th. Sorry. 1942 was the original invasion. If I was correct on that. September 9th, a Japanese submarine uh, actually surfaces off the coast of Oregon and they get a crew together to put together a seaplane. And inside the seaplane are two operators um, that and two are so the, the pilot is I'm going to probably say this wrong. And I apologize. Uh, Nobuo uh, Fujita and, uh, and his observer, which is Soji Okuda. And then they loaded two 170-pound incendiary incendiary bombs. For those of you who don't know, incendiary bombs are the bombs that you drop intending to start fires in cities. Uh, the United States and its allies were really good at doing this in Germany at the end of World War II, especially Dresden, which had a higher death toll than the two uh, nuclear blasts off the coast or uh, in Japan um, because of the fires. So. Uh, they actually fly and they, uh, get to, I think it's, is it Mount Emily? Does that sound right? I know you're, I'm putting you on the spur of the moment. I just, you lived closer to Oregon than I did. So, but I believe it's Mount Whitney. Yep. I found it. It's Mount Whitney. And, uh, and their goal is actually start forest fires on the West coast of the United States to keep people occupied over there and not with what they are doing. Um, and so they attempt to do this. It, doesn't really ever start anything but what's interesting and i thought this was interesting is the plane actually shows up again um in oh when was it show up again oh i'm not gonna remember now it actually shows up again and all these firefighters and everybody are are oh 20 days later uh it shows up again all these firefighters are dispatched like they're ready to go wherever the the bomb's gonna hit da 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 but the plane flies around and doesn't drop a bomb <laughs> So then what was cool was the pilot, so Fujita, returns to Oregon in 1962, um, and he lands uh, at the, uh, he's at the Brookings 
annual Azalea Festival, where he surrenders his 400-year-old samurai sword to the mayor of the town and says, this is the perfect way to end, you know, what I did. And so, again, we're not... And there are stories, too. I think there's there's multiple stories of German U-boats being sighted off in of New York City and other major East Coasts. So, but it's interesting. This is the first time that we talk about, like, a, a land invasion of the United States since... The War of 1812, which started when, Barker? I'm hoping in the War of 1812. Good. There is a guy on Jeopardy. You can look it up. He did miss that question. So. <laughs> He's got to think it's a trick question. I think you were going to talk about there was a the, one of the other things that the Japanese did to, to also try and start forest fires was like weather balloons with an incendiary yes. bomb on it. And there was a I think it was a, a Sunday school picnic or whatnot that one fell on. Yep. And it was like it's like one of the only ones that actually like made it across. They were trying to put them in the Gulf stream and have yep. the current air currents drop them over the United States, but it didn't work out so much, but it's one of those things like, you know, you think about, look at a map of the Pacific. My, we've been playing a lot of world uh, with my kids. You suggested it and I've been pushing it out to my kids. So it's great geography practice. Hashtag wordle. It's world with the L E like the game wordle that's in the New York times. Try it sometime shows you different places you got to guess and you got to get within a certain mileage and it starts giving you more and more hints if you're really baller like barker and i you play without the map if you're a rookie no big deal play with the maps they still don't help you sometimes yeah but you'll look at you'll notice how sparse the north pacific is there's just there's not a lot of islands between midway and the aleutians yep. and so that's why that's why controlling midway and controlling the aleutians was so it was it was literally the gateway to the north pacific that never really materialized to much, but that you could argue that's because the United States maintained control of both of those choke points. Right. Um, Defended it very, very fiercely. Yeah. So for 14 months, Japan does hold a couple of islands in the Aleutian island chain. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't amount to a lot. It was probably a much bigger expenditure than what the result of what they got from it. Right. Um but like, yeah, it's just one of those lesser known things that we don't talk about a whole lot, which is why we're here. Yep. You know, if you have any random things you want to know about or you thought you think you knew something and you're not sure if it's real and you're too lazy to fact check, mm -hmm. um, just let us know and we'll look it up. You know, so uh, we enjoy this stuff. It's kind of fun. I enjoy learning about this stuff. I went down yeah. a rabbit hole about uh, the teacher, you know, and her radio husband operator. Yeah. Radio operator. She re I think she retired to Washington actually. Oh really? So left Alaska and came back down to Washington to retire. So that's fair. Never got a in the more official recounts, they say that she never got a she never said what happened to her husband because she kind of blacked out from like the attack until like a few weeks later when she was like arriving in Japan. She like doesn't have yeah. maybe it's you know repressed or whatever, Stre but like yeah, stress you know, and she doesn't remember what happened. She cannot shock say what happened but of course there's stories yep so yeah so well ladies and gentlemen uh we have debating about our topic for next week we are going to record we are going to drop a video on thursday um for next week it's conference week for me so i'm going to be up later at night later at night uh for getting to talk to all these great parents of the Quincy School District and excited to talk to them about their kids and all the great things that they're doing. Uh, but so we're going to record. If you have an idea, drop it. You know where to find us. 
drop in the comments on this video. Uh, write us a, a letter. Uh, you know, I don't know where you'd send it. I guess Ari Long High School, you could write Barker a letter, or Quincy Middle School, you could write me a letter. Um, if you don't feel like writing letters, then you can find us on Instagram at uh, Turnbark Time or on our Facebook page at Turnbark Time or at our email, turnbarktime at gmail.com. So those are all of our things. Barker, anything else for the good of the order? I'm trying to think, man. I don't know. Like, yeah, it, I mean, we're here. You know, we, I don't know. We're not here for the money. We're here for you, right? Yep. So, like, let us know what you want us to talk about, and we'll talk about it. So, if you don't, we'll just pick something uh, out of yeah, random out of our brains. Talk about random things. So, all right, guys. It's been awesome. Until next time, I'm the turn. I'm the bark. And we're going to be here a long time. Have a good night, everybody. Be safe. And be well.